0: So a lot of people ask about Mexico Caravan ministry. I'm just going to take about 30 seconds. We are a mobilization ministry. And uh, we build simple structures. But a lot of people say, well, you're a house building ministry. And we're really not. Um, actually, we're, um, some people have named us the deceptive ministry that we bring people in. You can laugh at that. That's okay. Um, it's true, so maybe you don't want to laugh at that. We bring people into, um, they think, just to build structures for needy people in Mexico, and then we slam them about God's heartbeat for the world, and we make them feel guilty about missions. No, and uh, sometimes. And we really, uh, so our first thing is to motivate people from... Uh, Christ followers for missions. And you come in and we teach the word. We teach the word what God's Word says about the loss. You know, there are seven billion people in the world, and they say, out of that seven billion, there's two billion Christians, and out of that two billion Christians, there's only a billion on fire Bible-believing Christ followers that are living for him. And then that leaves us about four and a half billion. People that don't know Jesus Christ and out of that four and a half billion, there's two and a half billion that haven't heard the name of Jesus Christ. And at Mexico Caravan Ministry, we want people to know that. And then we want you to grapple with that, not just know that, but what are you going to do about it? And so that is the utmost of what we do there. The other is that we hopefully move people to a closer walk with Jesus Christ, and we do that while you're there for the weekend or for a week, and we teach. And then we also um, have intern staff that we disciple all year long, anywhere from 8 during the year to uh, 14 during the summer. And... College students, 18 to 20, we have some that are 26 right now. And we disciple them, and we give them disciplines. Um, they were really mad at me while I'm gone because I was doing disciplines. We were doing Skype staff meetings, which my first time forever doing that, and that was a little different. And uh, But I gave them a discipline a week ago that they couldn't spend money as of the staff meeting. So if they didn't have food in the pantry or whatever, they had to scramble. They had to share food with them. So for a whole week, they couldn't spend money out of their own pocket. And the other thing is they only had electricity for one hour a day. And uh, um, just things that we have experienced with missionaries and being out there, you just don't have electricity all the time. You don't get to put all the switches on. And so for our staff, a lot of them are thinking about missions. We want them to experience that and understand what they're going to. And so this uh, discipling them and training them, they all memorize Scripture every week, about six verses. And they're doing Psalm 119 right now, and they're on verse 100 right now. And uh, so that's what we get to do. And then the final thing that we really uh, enjoy doing is that we make the gospel attractive. And when groups come, like yourself, make the gospel attractive for the nationals in Mexico. They wonder why would a bunch of um, people from the U.S. come down and minister to them um, and build their house. And they ask the question, why are they here? And then uh, through the, our Spanish speakers, they get to tell the gospel and say, this is why they do it. So I wanted to give you a little bit about what we do and uh, um, about that. But I want to jump into Scripture. Again, uh, Pastor Andrew told us uh, where we're going to be today. So I want you to go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 12, verse 22 is where we're going to start. Luke chapter 12, verse 22. And if you just put your finger there and hold on to that, um, I'm going to pray and then we'll get into it. Father, today I just ask that your spirit would be here. I believe that it is every week as this group ministers together and meets together and looks for your spirit to work among them. I pray today that your word would be powerful and that it would separate and divide and, and go to the um, marrow of our hearts and that we would look towards you and there would be some change and there would be some things that are taking place. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're following along this morning and um, going off of stripping down your life, really my title is, What Are You Living For? And you can write that down. What are you living for? And that's a question that I think we need to ask. What are we really living for? What constitutes the reason that I have breath and life and what I do every day? And so what are you living for? And that's sort of the title, and I'm going to give you four points there. But a few years ago, my wife and I were at a funeral in Mexico, actually quite a few years ago now. And if you drive to our ministry in Tijuana, you have to go on the Via Rapida. And the Via Rapida actually splits this cemetery. It used to not split the cemetery. There wasn't a road there and I'm not sure what they did with the bodies in between the cemetery. But uh, I was up on the cemetery um, at this funeral of a nine-year-old little girl and her father. And the reason uh, we were at their funeral is the father had lost it and uh, actually killed his little girl and then killed himself. And we were at that funeral and his family was burying him and her mom and her side of the family was bearing the little girl and they were together and there's a lot of tension. But as I was watching this funeral, I, most of you have been to a funeral sometime in your life. And it's usually pretty nice, isn't it? Gr- green grass, not the funeral's nice. I'm not talking about, that's a good thing. But usually green grass, right? There's marble heads, um, headstones, and, and everything's manicured and everything's nice. Not at this um, cemetery. There was rocks and dirt. There was nothing growing but maybe some weeds. There was rusted out cribs where babies had died. There was broken down wooden crosses where people were. Just really bad. But as I stood on the hillside and looked around the other side, I could see the more upper class cemetery across on the other hill called Mountain of Olives. Doesn't that sound beautiful? And it was all green and there was... Marble headstones and I could see it from there, but I was in this poor cemetery Do You know what both of those have in common There's dead people there See the statistics say one out of one people die And so this morning I want to ask so what are you living for if one out of one people die Eventually we're going to die and we're going to stand before the father. Then what what are we living for? In the uh, great theologian, William Wallace, that was betrayed by Mel Gibson in the movie Braveheart, if you've ever seen that. Um, William Wallace, actually, Mel Gibson says this. There's this scene there that the, the uh, queen, the prince uh, from France or whatever, says she was afraid that William Wallace was going to die. I'm not going to tell you the whole movie. But he makes this incredible statement. He goes, she goes, don't go there. If you go there, you will die. And he says, everyone dies, but not everyone truly lives. Do you get that? That is great words, even if it came from Mel Gibson. (laughs) Everyone dies, but not everyone truly lives. And I want to think about that this morning. What are you living for? And I'm going to start, if I can get through this, As we were with Gordon yesterday, we got word from a good friend of ours that our missionaries in Lesotho, um, Africa, and we were with them last March, almost a year ago, and I spoke at an African Inland Mission conference there for them. And they're from our church, and they're good friends of ours. They have six children. Michelle and Chris are 47 years old. About six years ago, God got a hold of their heart. She was our uh, children's pastor at our church. And Chris, he made wedding dresses for some of the um, most wealthy people in San Diego County. There's a little town there called La Jolla. It's very wealthy. And he made wedding dresses. And they adopted two, two out of their six children are adopted from Uganda. And they just really felt God wanted them in Africa. And then an organization, AIM, called them and said, you know what? We have this situation where we have this vocational school and um, a bunch of sewing machines, but no one to teach them sewing. What do you think about moving to Lesotho to bring them the gospel? And they said, that's a great entry strategy. We'll go in. And since he was a phenomenal, um, I guess, a seamstress, he said, I will do that. And they sold their house in San Diego County. They sold their cars and everything that they had. And they moved six children across to Africa um, two years ago. While Maggie and I was on the road this last week and a half, we heard that um, they took Chris out of Lesotho because he was really sick. And they thought at first it was rabies. And then they said, no, it's not rabies. Because if you had rabies, you'd already be dead. And then they figured out it was a virus. And it actually caused a heart attack for this 47-year-old man who runs every day in Lesotho, and they live about 10,000 feet up, and he's really in good shape. And, um, and then it got worse, and it went to his brain. And yesterday, um, at 10.30 our time yesterday, um, my friend Chris died. And I want to read this letter from his wife. And I'm going to try to get through it without crying. But I want you to hear this because I really think it puts in perspective what are we living for? If we're talking about stripping down our life and relying on God, we need to answer that question of what are we living for? It says from Michelle to all of you all over the world who have been praying praying fervently for us through this time. This is Michelle. I'm letting you know that Chris is now whole and healed and safely in the arms of his loving gracious savior. Chris was actually pretty stable today, but but he has been having tremors or seizures over the last few days. These are extremely painful for me to watch him endure. Throughout these weeks, we have had the knowledge of of Chris's brain being involved. I have been asking his heavenly father to heal Chris completely, make him whole, and not give him more than he could handle if they were going to be outcomes that involved blindness or seizures or brain damage or any of such kind. Chris has always been very specific to, with me about the quality of life that was a priority for him. As his tremors increased this afternoon, they had to reduce the medicine he was, they were giving him for pain because it was causing his blood pressure to fall pretty rapidly. It was at that time that I knew that what God had so mercifully decided for my beloved husband. Present at Chris Bedside was myself, my mom, who had just arrived from California and two, previous, two nights previous, Dudley and Jan Pate, their um, AIM leaders, and a number of the nurses who have faithfully and lovingly, lovingly ministered to Chris. We share the most intimate, deep, immensely moving worship time that I've ever experienced. We prayed over Chris. Dudley kept us in a continuous prompting of beautiful hymns and songs that we sang together. Jan read passages from the Word about heaven. And at different times, the nurses would come in and pray with us and embrace me and personally pray with me. God, free me from my fear of death so that I could be at Chris' side, embrace him, and share him as he entered into heaven. And I sense an incredible strength and peace. I can testify that God has taken my biggest fear, the one journey I had told God I was unwilling to take and make beauty from ashes. In addition, the hardest thing I've ever had to tell my kids was like being on holy ground. All your prayers have been answered. We will have hard days. We will miss Chris deeply. He has been my best friend, my constant companion, and my perfect partner for more than half of my life. However, he has left a legacy in his kids, and they're already laughing about stories about Dad as we sit and talk about him being in heaven. My prayer is that you will see Christ high and lifted up and glorified, sovereign and good as you walk this journey with us. Your prayers that Chris would be healed completely for wholeness and fullness of life have been answered. We got to witness it happen right before our eyes as the striving and the tremors cease and they calmly rested. Please pray that the seeds that Chris has planted throughout his life will bear much fruit. That God will be glorified among the nations. And that through our family as we testify to his presence and the goodness in the midst of our suffering. Pray that Chris's life and the homecoming would bring a revival to Lesotho. The mountain kingdom that he has grown to love so much. That they would know the one true God. Sovereign over all spirits, the one who has known Chris from when he was knit together in his mother's room to this evening when he received his heavenly reward. Why are you living? I've been with Chris and I walked the village and I walked him, watched him interact with the people in Lesotho and and the kids come up and hug him and he hang out with the men and and the women, just. Um, enjoyed Michelle and I saw why he was there. Why are you living? Let's read Luke and let's look at four things this morning. Luke 12 verse 22 to 34. And he said to his disciples, for this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor your body as to what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens for they neither sold so, nor they reap, they have no storeroom or barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than the birds. And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you cannot do even a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, not even Solomon all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown in the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not seek what you shall eat and what you will drink. Do not keep worrying. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. But the Father knows you need these things. But seek first His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts that will not wear out. An unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes in or moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Four questions I want to give you this morning. That I believe if we're going to strip down our life and then rely on God, we need to answer what are we living for. And the first thing is, the first question, what does your life consist of? What does your life consist of? Back to Luke 22 and 23. And he said to his disciples... For this reason, I say to you, do not be anxious, worry, stressed out as to what you shall eat or to your body what you shall put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. We know that, don't we? Do we know that? I think in our head, cognitively, we say, yeah, life is more than that. But how much time do we worry about putting food on the table? For me, you can see I worry about it a lot. Don't laugh too much. I'm looking at you too. And clothing. We go around. Man, we window covet all the time. And, And women, you probably do that a little bit more than men, but men do it too. In fact, I love this quote. There's a quote that says... We spend money that we don't have to buy things that we don't need to impress people we don't like. Do you get that? We spend money that we don't have to buy things that we don't need to impress people we don't like. So in the scheme of eternity and the light of eternity, what does our life consist of? And as Christians, I think sometimes we start to... Synchronize, you know, uh, do you know what that word is? Blending a couple different beliefs together. In fact, in Lusutu, they blend their Christianity with this spirit worship, and that what was, Chris was trying to break apart with the power of the Holy Spirit, because you would have people in this church that were really Christ followers, they'd come to church every Sunday, but they believed in spirit worship. And I think what we've done in the church today is that we have taken Christianity and then blended it with materialism. And we all want that white picket fence Christianity. That we go to church on Sundays and we might even be involved in a uh, home group during the week. But man, I want my nice house and I want my nice clothes and I want to drive the nice car. And if I'm stepping on your toes, good. Because I step on mine too. And the question we have to ask is, what does your life consist of? Is it just compiling things? Collecting things and coveting things. I wrestle with that. I'm a motorcycle guy. And I covet motorcycles. When I'm driving down the street and I see a bunch of bikes, I, I almost have an accident every time. Because I like motorcycles. But I covet those sometimes. And I have to deal with that. But what does your life consist of? Is it compiling and collecting and coveting things? Is it to have the nice house, a large garage, or fill things in our garage? Have you ever noticed that? How many people can't even park in the garage because they have so much junk? So you got this garage and you can't park your car in it. Guess what you build in the backyard? A shed. So you can put more stuff. And then here in the city, then you rent, You got so much stuff in your garage and your shed, then you rent a storage thing. And it's all about having more. We say, man, if I only had this, if I could only buy this. But really, what we need to be is about contentment, about calmness, about compassion. But I think it really comes into the church, and it is about compiling and collecting and coveting, and it's wrong. And it's wrong for me, and it's wrong for you. And it really needs about, are we content? Are we calm and are we at rest? And is it about compassion for the ones that hurt and the ones that are lost? And if we're going to strip down our life and rely on God, we need to get away from the collecting and the compiling and the coveting and be content people with what we have. To be calm and to be compassionate. You saw Brooks in there, and Brooks, like I said, is a big blonde guy. He sticks out in Papua New Guinea because they're black in color, and he is white as they can. And, but they love him there. But let me tell you about Brooks. Grew up in Papua New Guinea. When he turned 18, his dad says, I want you to go to the States. I want you to go to school. I want you to work. I want you to do something. Because he goes, Dad, I want to come back here and be a missionary. He goes, no, I want you to go there. So he went to school, got a four-year degree in business. And he landed this uh, pretty great job in San Diego. As soon as he came out of school, him and his wife had about $40,000 worth of um, student loans. They paid him off in a year in this job. He was making about $150,000 coming out of um, college, which is pretty, pretty good money. That was about 10 years ago, 11 years ago. But him and his wife just kept reading Scripture. And, and they had things picked out. They, they knew where they were going to live in La Jolla. La Jolla is the wealthy part of San Diego. They knew the private school they were going to send um, their baby, who wasn't even delivered yet, just in his wife's stomach, to school. Knew the cars they were going to drive. And God was just really convicting him and took him back to Scripture. And he says, man, we can't do this. So he, him and his wife decided they would go back to Papua New Guinea as a missionary. So he went into his boss. And his boss actually owned the company. And they flew Brooks to Belgium and Paris once a month. And he was doing all sorts of things. And just climbing the corporate ladder. ladder and he says, I'm giving you my month notice. I'm leaving. And he told him what he was going to do. That He was going go to go um, to Papua New Guinea and live in the bush and tell people about Jesus. And his boss flipped out. He went ballistic. Started cussing at him. Yelling at him. And says, I know what you're doing, Brooks. This is a bargaining chip. You want more money. So I'll tell you what I'll do. I will double your salary today if you'll stay. 300000 sort of what I make. And um, <laughs> in two lifetimes. Um, and he went home. Well, f- he went home. And on the way home, he called his dad and said, Dad, they're gonna- he's offered me 300000 if I don't go be a missionary. And Brooks, I mean, um, Brad, his dad was a missionary over there and now living in San Diego, thinking silently, Jehovah Jireh, God provides. I'll live off my richest son's money, you know? <laughs> He's thinking, I'm just a poor missionary. This is great. But then he says, and then he just says, do what God wants you to do and hangs up. Well, Brooks have been in Papua New Guinea for 12 years. They spent their first five, six years just learning culture and language. And then spent seven to eight months teaching and getting them ready. And then the last three and a half years of training elders. In October that's coming up, they are going to have their Bible dedication. Where the whole Bible in, in Yimbe is done in translation. And then they'll walk away from the tribe totally. What does his life consist of? It used to be compiling and collecting and covenanting, But it came to contentment and a calmness and a compassion for the loss so what about you this morning what about me what does your life consist of what are you living for the second one is what is your life concerned about sees consist of but then we're concerned people we get anxious about so many things See, Luke says this, which of you by being anxious can add a single cubit to his lifespan? Another hour, another ten minutes by worrying. Then if you cannot do a little thing, why are you anxious about other matters? I, I know people that are worrying about their kids graduating from college when they're three years old. I know people that are in their thirties are worrying about retirement. I know people are worrying about the house that you don't even have yet. And why do we worry about so many things? About this and about that. I mean, I, I've been appalled in our ministry over the last four or five years of groups not wanting to come down because they're worried they're going to get shot in Tijuana. I'm thinking, live in Oakland. No, um, <laughs> I don't get it. Why do we worry about things that aren't happening yet? But see, we have to ask, what is our life concerned about? And if we're gonna strip down and rely upon God, we need to think about that. See, are you concerned about funds? Not fun, but funds, money? About friends, and what are they saying about them? Or do we do we keep up with our friends? Do we have the same type of house? And do we worry about that? Or fulfillment? Man, I want to be a fulfilled person. You know, our fulfillment comes from the Lord. But we think, God, there's so many other things that fulfill our life. If I could do this, and do that. And so what is your life concerned about? Is it funds, friends, or fulfillment? Or it should be about faithfulness to God. About following Christ wholeheartedly. About being filled with the Holy Spirit. So what are you concerned about? And I want to be a person, hopefully, that is concerned about being faithful to God. To following Christ with my whole heart. And being filled with the Holy Spirit. What about you? I talked about Brooks. His dad, Brad, I mentioned him a little bit. Brad and I grew up in the same youth group. He's a couple years older than I am. And Brad went the same high school that I did. And Brad was a very good surfer. He, in fact... He was the youngest surf um, captain we had on our surf team, and he could surf anything. And uh, that's what he lived for. And uh, he surfed. He uh, had cute girlfriend, nice little Volkswagen bug, and just lived for surfing. As soon as he got out of school, he surfed. He surfed in the morning, surf, 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 surf. Then he got saved in his senior year, and he had been saving all this money to go to the pipeline. So at Christmas break, his senior year, after he became a Christian, he was really wrestling with it, because he had heard about missions, he heard about what God wanted to do in his life, but he wanted to surf for God. And so people even jumped on board with him and said, man, you're so good, Brooks, I mean, um, Brad, you could serve for God. And that was his plan. But he went to the pipeline, and the second day in the pipeline, if you know the pipeline is shallow big waves and shallow water, a lot of coral. And he ate it his second day, got crashed into the coral. And as they dragged him out of the water and he's laying on the beach and he's bruised and bleeding, he thought in his head at 18 years old, man, I almost gave my life for surfing. I almost gave my life for surfing. He spent the next 20 years in Papua New Guinea And today, there's an established church in what they call the hillbillies of hillbillies in in Papua New Guinea, out in the middle of nowhere. It took him and his wife seven days just to get into the village the first time they went in. But he was concerned about surfing and being popular and having everything. What are you concerned about this morning? Are you really concerned about being faithful to God, following Christ Jesus with your whole heart and being filled with the Holy Spirit? Or is that other things? The third thing, what is your life considering? So we talked about what your life consists of, what's it concerned of, and the next one is what is your life considering? See in Luke 12, 24 it says, Consider the ravens, for they neither sow." Nor they reap. They have nor store room or a barn. Yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than the birds. Consider the lilies. They grow, neither they toil or spin. But I tell you that even Solomon, in all his glory, do not close himself like one of these. But in verse 28, But if God so will raise the grass of the field, which is alive today, and tomorrow is thrown in the furnace, how much more will He clothe you, O of little faith? Consider in the Greek means this to observe fully, to perceive clearly. To observe fully, or to perceive clearly. And the question is what are you considering today? What are you seeing or perceiving clearly? What have you observed fully in your life? Is it the wants and the whys of life, the what might call it, or even in a different way, the toys and the things and the temptation of life? Is that what you're considering? Is that what you're observing fully and perceiving clearly? Or is it this? Is it God's word? God's will and God's word, world? What are you observing fully today? Perceiving clearly? See, I believe that only two things last for eternity. God's Word and God's people. And what are we doing about those two things? Is that what you're observing today? His Word, His will, and His world? Do you know that since we started this service this morning, 2,000 people have died without Christ around the world. 2,000. Just in the last hour. What are you considering this morning? I love the story of Eric Little. I don't know if you know it very well. One of my my wife's favorite movies to watch, Chariots of Fire. It's about runners. Eric Little grew up in Scotland. He loved to run. He would run from one farm to another, run all over. When he was in elementary school, he got this high fever and he couldn't even walk. And the doctor told his mother that Eric will probably never run again. But God miraculously touched his body. And by the time he was in high school, he was breaking records for the 100 and 200 meter. By the time he got to college, he was fast. In fact, he told his sister in the movie. She says, you're caught up in running. You go, but God has made me fast. And he ran and he ran and, and he ran against uh, different people and finally got to the Olympics and represented England in the Olympics. And they expected him to take a gold in the 100 meter. They thought he would at least medal in the 200, which he did. He, he won a bronze. But the week of the Olympics, he found out that the 100 meter was going to be ran on a Sunday. This was in the 1920s. And he was very convicted about running or doing anything on Sundays except preaching. So he went to the Olympic Council and said, I can't run. It it caused such a stir through the newspapers and, and the media that people in England called him a traitor because he wouldn't run. But one man came up to him and from America. He was another runner and he gave him a verse and he says... This verse says, he who honors me, I I will honor. He says, hang in there, Eric. The next day, right before Sunday, and he said that he wasn't going to run, they came back to him and says, okay, if you're not going to run the 100, we will allow you to run the 400, which he never ran competitively on Monday. He says, okay. We know God did honor him because on that Monday, he broke the world record for the 400 meter and won the gold for England. But you know his story goes on from there. He got offered again to do the Olympics in four years and he turned it down. You know why? Because two years before that he landed in China to be a missionary. He gave up the fame and, and the fortune and everything that he had back there and said God has something greater for me. I'm not going to be concerned about the wrong things. I'm going to be concerned about God's Word, His will, and the world. Eric died in China. During World War II, he flew his family home and got him out of China, and he got put in a concentration camp there in China. If you read the story of his life, they said he became the pastor in the concentration camp there. He became the science teacher and the PE teacher. He became the doctor and he did help people that were going through sickness. Why he was in the concentration camp, he had a brain tumor. And he eventually died there. And they recorded his last words, and these are the last words of Eric Little total surrender. And they buried him in a little obscure grave outside the concentration camp. What are you concerned about today? Is it God's will? It's His word. And are you concerned about the world? We need to see it perceive it clearly and observe it fully. The last question I have for you today is what in your life are you committed to? What in your life are you committed to? Luke 12:29 says this, do not seek what you shall eat or what you shall drink and do not keep worrying. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. But your Father knows that you need these things. And then, ladies and gentlemen, listen to this. But seek first His kingdom. Do you know what that's saying? Seeking His rule in your life. That He is in control. Do you get that? We don't like that rule uh, word, do we? I don't. That someone's going to rule over me. But it says, seek first His kingdom. That He rules over us. See, I think, put your hands up just for a minute, like this. Open them wide. I think this is how we like to live Christianity. Lord, here's my life, and Jesus, you just fit in there somewhere. Do that. Okay, Jesus, just fit in there somewhere. Guess what? That's wrong. Scripturally, it's wrong. He said, seek first my kingdom. This is what it should be. I own you. Corinthians says, This life that you live is no longer your own. You've been bought with a price. And guess what? I don't get the call to shots. You don't get the call to shots. Seek first His kingdom, His rule over your life, and His righteousness. That means His character flowing through you. We're supposed to be the best representation of Jesus that we can be. That's what it means. Seek first His kingdom, and these things shall be added unto you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. So sell your possessions, give to charity, make yourselves purchases, pur- purses, excuse me, which do not wear out. And then failing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near, nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And this morning, what are you committed to? And the other question I would ask along that, are you committed to self or the Savior? Pretty simple. Are you committed to self or the Savior? I wrestle with that sometimes. And I love to tell you, you're saying, Eddie, you're a missionary. And I wrestle with that. Sometimes I'm committed to self. I like nice things. I like to be comfortable. I like to be safe. I like to be secure. Don't you? But guess what? Look in scripture. There's nowhere it says about Christ followers are supposed to be comfortable, safe, or secure. It's not there. Are we committed to self or the Savior? We have to ask that question and answer it. Because if we're going to strip down our life and rely on God, that's where it comes to for me. And for you. Another hero of the faith. Along with Eric Little. Is a little lady called Gladys Allward. And Gladys was 30 years old. When she sat in the office of China Inland Mission. And she was asking to go be a missionary. Under their organization. And they said Gladys. You can't you can't do it. You're too old. You're 30 years old. Or by the time you get, she was 28 then. By the time you get to China, you'll be 30. You won't be able to learn the language. You won't be able to do that. And so why don't you, and this is what they said to her, why don't you just go home, get married, raise kids, and be a good Christian mother? That's not a bad thing. Don't, don't get me wrong. I had a good Christian mother. But she said, no. And she went away weeping and she went to this little room that she had and she was a nanny for this family and she took out the little bit of money and she threw it on the table and she throwed her Bible there and she said, all I have is eight pennies, God, and I have my Bible, but I commit my life to you wholeheartedly. One year later, she landed on the shores of China and she spent 35 years there and she had incredible ministry. She led many people to the gospel. She actually, God gave her the power one time. The government let her go into a prison that was all out rioting. And this little white lady walked in there and stopped the riot and led many of the prisoners to Christ. One day she was walking on the road and this person had this little baby there, a little child that was starving. And the person was selling this baby for two dollars equivalent to American money and Gladys goes. I don't want the baby. I can't I can't I don't have that kind of money Later in the day came back Do you want to buy this baby same baby now the baby's looking worse because it's out in the sun all day Gladys went home borrowed two dollars from another missionary bought the baby She bought and brought in at least 100 children in her lifetime while she was there. In fact, the day that she died next to her was the last little child she brought in to rescue from prostitution and slavery. She said, I'm not going to be committed to self. I'm going to be committed to the Savior. And no matter what it takes, no matter what it does, I give it all to you. See, I love your series, Living Simply, Giving Generously, but I really believe it comes to this today, where it says, what are you living for? What does your life consist of? What in your life are you concerned about? What in your life are you considering? And what in your life are you committed to? Is it self or the Savior? And to be the type of people that we are called to be, it has to come that I am going to give my whole life to Him. And that might mean a radical difference in how I spend my money and my time and how I raise my children and where I go with my life. But it's the right thing. So today, I believe before you lay your head down on your pillow tonight, I challenge you to wrestle with what are you living for? What does your life consist of? What in your life are you concerned about? What in your life are you considering, observing fully, perceiving clearly? And what are you committed to, self or the Savior? I want to end with this, and then we're done. This was found, and I read this anywhere I go, anywhere I preach. And if you've heard it before, tough. It's great stuff. But it really brings us to the kind of life that is stripped down and relying on God only. And I want you to hear this. This was found in the papers of a pastor in Zimbabwe who was martyred for his faith in Christ Jesus. Said this in his paper. I'm a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm done and finished with low living, sight walking, pl- Small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tame visions, mundane talking, cheap living, and dwarf goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, positions, promotions, or popularity. I don't have to be right. I don't have to be first or tops or recognized or praised or rewarded. I live by faith, lean on His presence. I walk by patience. I'm lifted by prayer. I labor in the Holy Spirit's power. My face is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven. My road may be narrow, my way rough, my companion few, but my guide Jesus is reliable and my mission is clear. I will not be bought, compromised, detoured, lured, turned back, deluded or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice or hesitate in the presence of the adversary. I will not negotiate at the table of the enemy or ponder at the pool of popularity or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, or let up until I've stayed up, stored up, and prayed up, and paid up, and preached for the cause of Christ. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I must give until I drop, preach until all will know, and work until He comes. And when He does come... He will have no problems recognizing me. My colors will be clear. I hope that's me. And I hope that's you. What are you living for today? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for loving us. And today, Father, I ask that I will be one that lives for you and not self that I would consist of the right things, be concerned about the right things, concerned about the right things, but committed to you and not self. May my colors be clear and the ones in this room. In Jesus' name, amen.